Good morning, Liberty Lake Church. This bright and sunny morning. If you all want to stand with us, we'll get started. It is getting close to Christmas, obviously, so let's have fun with that. Okay. <clears throat> My name's Don Anderson, and uh, it says introduce yourself. I'm Don Anderson. I have the spiritual gift of annoyance, and uh, I'm here to love you guys. That's my best introduction. Youth group is tonight at 5.30. I'm going to run through these. There's an emergency Christmas craft night. This Monday, more trinkets and baubles for your holiday pleasure. So it's, uh, emergency means it was kind of last minute, but these gals do have a blast. I mean, they have more fun. And it's not about the craft. It's about hanging with each other. And uh, <laughs> I just got to stop telling you. <laughs> you know, Shane and Sally have a granddaughter named Scarlett. And she's sitting back there with her sunglasses on, looking like she just stopped in from Hollywood. <laughs> You're a doll, Scarlett. Annual business meeting, Sunday, December 6th. That's next week. And there will be no food served because of some of the... Oh, there is? Oh. Just not. <laughs> Can I stand by you, Gary? <laughs> In a Christmas Eve service. This year, due to situations, there will be one service. So pay close attention. If, if that's part of your family tradition, pay co close attention to the website. Uh, if you have a question, call the church office just to find out exactly when it is. It's at 4 o'clock, but for some of us old people, that's a long ways away and a lot of shopping between now and then. I have a quick tip for you. This is from Don. I'm full responsibility for it. When you're wearing a gaiter or you're wearing a mask, if you soak it in meat stock... 
you're a happier person as you scour the mall and uh, you're out and about amongst people. It's just a, a more pleasant experience. Um, gravy is sticky. Gravy doesn't work as well, especially on gators. Uh, and I do want to share something that is so important this time of the year is the birth of Christ. And it's real. And scripture started out in Genesis chapter 3, and God said it was coming. When he got after Adam and Eve and Satan the serpent, he told them what was coming down. And through her seed, she will bear a son. Only time in scripture. Every other time it's his seed. Through her seed, God predicted his son. Isaiah chapter 7 says, it's happening, hang in there. Matthew 1, Luke 2 said, it's here. And that's why this place looks beautiful, because we're celebrating the birth of our Lord and Savior, Messiah, Redeemer, Jesus Christ. We have the Van Kirk family is coming up. David, Carrie, and their beautiful children. We'll do Advent this morning. Good morning, church family. Um, this is my wife, Carrie, my daughter, Kate, my son, Evan, and I'm Dave. And uh, thank you for letting us do this today. Uh, we're going to be reading from the scripture of Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. And this is signifying hope for the Advent. All right. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and the branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of the wisdom, understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be the, in the fear of the Lord." He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb the and the Leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the, the calf and the lion and the fat of calf together, and the little child shall lead them, and cow, the cow and the bear shall graze. Their Young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. The weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all of my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for all the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. All right. Stand with us, and we'll continue worship.
Kristen? Oh. I, I don't want to throw Don under the bus or anything, but uh, we, we do have an... Actually, Don didn't know, but anyway, Kristen has to speak to us about Angel Tree. Good morning, and no worries. Um, all the angels are out on the tree. Just a quick run over. If you haven't heard of Angel Tree before, Angel Tree is a, a program part of Prison Fellowship where um, local churches partner with um, Prison Fellowship to provide gifts on incarcerated parents to their children at Christmas. So the prisoners have an opportunity to um, request a gift, a small gift on their behalf, um, and a special note to their child. Um, so on the tree, there's some angels up this year. If you would like to sponsor a child, you'll just um, take a tag off the tree I'll be in the back if you'll just let me know. There's a special code on there so I kind of know who took what tags. Um, and then there's a gift request, very sp for the, as specific as we could get on the bottom um, and the gender and age of the child. And um, all we ask is that the gifts are not more than $25, um, especially because oftentimes there's you know multiple children in a home and if one gets a $100 gift and one gets a $10 gift, well, children are judges of that. So we try to make it as even as possible. And for some kids, this will be the only gift they get. They live in poverty, a lot of them, um, and their guardians just can't afford yet another thing. So um, so basically three things. If you pray for these gifts for these kids uh, and their families, they will all get, along with their gift, a uh, um, gospel presentation in their own for their own age group they get a special booklet if you will um, and actually also um, 
kind of a magazine that they can read through that's interactive, um, but also shares the gospel with them, and same for their caregiver. Uh, secondly is, if you'd like to participate, um, grab a tag. If you feel like you don't want to shop and there's still tags left, you can donate um, the, the money to the church in, in the form of a check, um, just noting Angel Tree. And um, the last is, I just need a couple families that would like to deliver gifts. Um, this year, we won't be trying to go into anyone's home. Um, Angel Tree's asking that that's all just done through, you know, a door-to-door -door conversation or, you know, outside, if you will. Um, and so two, three families that would be interested in delivering gifts, um, we will be doing that on December 19th. So it's kind of close to Christmas, but um, would love to have you participate if you're interested just see me at the back at the Christmas tree, and any other questions you have, I can answer then. Thanks. Am I on? Hey, I'm on. Okay, so for those of you that uh, might be visiting for the first time, I am not Pastor Shane. I'm Gary Baker. I'm one of the elders here. Um, got a text this morning about 7.15 from Shane. And uh, he said he he woke up feeling pretty rough and wanted to know if, um, I think the way he said it was, do you have a sermon on file that you could pull out? <laughs> well, <laughs> I said, sure, yeah, we'll we'll figure this out. So it's it's interesting how how God works a little bit because uh, well it's it's interesting a lot, um, am, am I in the right spot or should I move up there? You guys okay with where I'm at? Okay. So when I um, I actually did find a, a sermon that I've done before um, for for those of you that might not know all of my my story I. Um, I retired from the U.S. Public Health Service as a, a pharmacist back in 2012. At the time, my last assignment was in Browning, Montana, Metropolis, <laughs> way out there. In the, and we lived in Kalispell. And so during that period of time, uh, I was an elder at um, Faith Alliance Church in Kalispell. And uh, I... It, when I retired, I spent a year or so looking for things to do, and and it anyway. That's when I first did this uh, this sermon, and so I I'm going to start out. Um, and you're going to have to put up with me because I'm sort of updating this as I go a little bit. So, um, and actually, the the first thing. I always like to start, if I'm uh, doing a sermon, with this, the words of Psalm 1914. This is David's prayer. He said, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Always try to start that way because I really need Lord, the Lord's work here. Um, so fast forward, um, that was 2013 when I did this. Fast forward seven years, I find myself in uh, remarkably the same kind of situation because um, back in 2013 when I had freshly retired from the U.S. Public Health Service, it wasn't too long after that that uh, the Lord found me a position here in the Spokane area. Let me, let me come back to my roots and um, it worked out pretty well for a while, but then that job went away a year ago. So um, I'm actually in sort of the same spot right now that I was um, when I first did all this looking into, and it's, it's sort of the idea of um, where, where are we when we're retired or facing retirement, and what does the Bible, what does God have to say about um, retirement? So um, that's where we're at. Let's just see what we can... Uh, come up with here. So, like I said, I retired from the U.S. Public Health Service August 1st, 2012. 
And uh, between the Army and the U.S. Public Health Service, I was on active duty as a pharmacist for about 28 years. Um, we had the uh, pleasure of going a lot of different places. Uh, in the Army, I saw Fort Lewis, Washington. That was, that was kind of interesting. Four years of ROTC and two years of reserve time, and they sent me right back in my own backyard. So, um, but uh, just the way the Army and its wisdom works, um, after I'd only been there a couple years, they did some messing up with their moving people around, and uh, the long, the short answer was I ended up going to Fort Benning, Georgia. And that's where my son was born. A um, few things happened down there that led me to believe the Army wasn't where I wanted to stay, and I ended up transferring over to the U.S. Public Health Service. We went from there to uh, the Hopi Indian Reservation out in Arizona, and from there to Alaska. Spent three years in the, uh, the Anchorage area at the medical center there. And from there, I went to Ketchikan. And we were in Ketchikan, Alaska for well, between 11 and 12 years. Uh, just, I loved it there. The, the scenery, the people, the fishing. Um, but there comes a point when um, God has, you know, some people are blessed enough that they actually hear a voice from God. I can't say I've ever done that, but I do sometimes get this sort of restless feeling like God is telling me time to move on. It's time to do something different. And as happy as I was in Ketchikan, I started getting that feeling. And uh, the, the opportunity at Browning came up, uh, put me on the road system where I could actually reach my mom, who was uh, by herself at that point. And uh, so we, we came down here. So that was my last duty station. We ended up in Kalispell. And uh, at the end of my time in Browning, when I retired, um, I had this, this vision that I would just go right to work doing whatever, whatever I wanted to do. And uh, it didn't exactly work out that way. So um, that year that I spent pondering things at the time that, uh, that I taught, spoke to the church the first time about this, um, I had been about a year looking for work. And um, at that time, uh, I, d I found there were advantages to that, to the early retirement. Um, I had more time with my family. Uh, I could travel without having to worry about a work schedule. And I could set my own agenda, right? Those are all kind of good things. And those of you that, that might not know, I am a, uh, a square dance caller. Um, enjoy that a lot, and so it let me do that. I could kind of set my own um, schedule for those kind of things. There were also some, some disadvantages. One, of course, is reduced income. Um, the, the military retirement's not bad, but it's not the same as being on active duty. Um, I found that I was unable to find as much part-time work as I would like. And um, there's kind of a feeling of purposelessness, if you will, that um, I think, you know, it's, it's a little hard to explain, but um, I think guys especially, that sort of, you know, our job, our work is sort of, it shouldn't be where we get our identity. Uh, that should be from God. We should be, our identity is in, is in Christ as a child of God. But we do still, you know, us as guys, we tend to, to look at our, our career and our work. And so there was that. And at the time when I left, I never really intended to fully retire. Um, I just wanted to change my focus to something a little bit more relaxed. I, I had visions of finding um, a job that would be part-time, I could talk to patients one-on-one, -on -one and I could have, have fun just shooting the bull with people and uh, just enjoying it, and, and didn't have to be in charge. My last oh, 20 years of, of active duty, I was the manager of pharmacies, and um, pharmacy is kind of a, an interesting profession when you get up into management. You, uh, you have to deal with the normal personnel issues that all managers do, but then you've, there's also the, um, I'm trying to put this a nice way, you get to deal with people that are having some problems. <laughs> and they don't like to hear that you can't refill an opioid or you can't refill it early or any of those sorts of things. So 
Um, anyway, I thought, you know, I'd, I'd find something to do where I could just sort of be casual about it. It didn't work out that way. Um, and I, I guess in that um, year of searching is where I kind of figured out that um, my work in pharmacy gave me a sense of fulfillment and purpose that I missed when it wasn't there. And it led me to quite a bit of self-examining time. Uh, in fact, before, before this sermon, I, I did a sermon in Kalispell about waiting on God and uh, about being in his waiting room, waiting for somebody to come out and tell you that um, you know, there was something for you to do. And at this point, um, I, I have written here from years back that I'm still trying to get a sense of purpose from God. What does he want me to be doing? So in some, some ways that's still true, but in a lot of other ways, God has filled in a lot of those blanks in the interim. Um, there's, there's a calling to do what I'm doing here with the church. Uh, there's a calling to um, uh, be a, a dad to my adult kids that are trying to get families started and uh, life started. So when um, Pastor Jim in Kalispell asked me to give this sermon, um, I decided to delve into what, what does the Bible have to say about work and retirement? What is God's retirement plan? And, you know, we, we know that ultimately his ultimate retirement plan with lots of benefits is, is in heaven, right? And that's where we'll be. But what about the last season of life here on earth? Well, we know that the Bible commands us to work. Starting in Genesis with Adam and Eve, life was pretty easy there until sin entered into the scene. Um, before the, the disobedience happened, Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden to um, work it and care for it. Sounds a lot like a, a groundskeeper or a landscaper. It's probably, I, I think of it as probably a pretty cushy job. You know, just go out and hang out in, in the paradise. Um, but after the, uh, the episode with the serpent, they got kicked out of the garden. And work became hard labor, necessary, not just as a, being a God's stewards, but for survival, for food. Genesis 3, 17 to 19 says, um, to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. So the, God told Adam that the earth would provide his livelihood, but it wasn't going to be easy. He was going to have to sweat and toil for it. Solomon wrote about the virtues of a work ethic. Um, I counted 17 different Proverbs, and I may have missed some, that talk about work. Or contrast a lazy person, Solomon liked the word sluggard, with one who works hard. And that doesn't count the ones that seem to duplicate each other. Um, but here's just a few. Proverbs 3, 6 to 11. He said, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest and poverty will come on you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. Proverbs 10, 4 through 5 says, Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. He who gathers crops in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps during harvest is a disgraceful son. Proverbs 15 says, The way of the sluggard is blocked with thorns, but the path of the upright is a highway. Notice that the hard-working person here is referred to as upright. Solomon also had, uh, he had high praise for those who did their jobs well, taking pride in their work and doing things the right way. In Proverbs 22, 
He said, do you see someone skilled in their work? They will serve before kings. They will not serve before officials of low rank. In Proverbs 27, he says, be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds. For riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. When the hay is removed, a new growth appears, and the grass from the hills is gathered in. The lambs will provide you with clothing, and the goats with the price of a field. You will have plenty of goat's milk to feed your family and to nourish your female servants. In Psalm 90, 17, we find a prayer for our work on earth to be effective and productive. We want our work to count for something in God's eyes. He says, may the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. So that's the Old Testament. That was Solomon. In the New Testament, um, Paul talks about the importance of hard work. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, he writes, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teachings you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked day and night, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any one of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. There's some good lessons from Paul in this passage. First, he talks about the dignity and duty in work, that it's, it's a good thing. It, it reflects well on us when we work hard and the, and the people around us can see that. Um, we already looked at how God assigned tasks to Adam and Eve, uh, even in paradise. He had things that they, he wanted them to do. People need to work for the fulfillment of them as people. They also need to earn their keep. And in the Bible tradition, people who are able to work do so in order to provide for themselves and their families. Paul wrote that if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. They also work in order to provide for those who, for whatever reasons, are unable to work. So, um, and that's, that's something important, too. Where there's nothing, nothing in the Bible ever condemning somebody that is unable to work or that is through circumstances can't find work. Or, you know, we, um, we read a lot of um, passages where we're encouraged to help those around us that need that help. Um, and then also in, in that passage in, um, in 2 Thessalonians, it, it shows us that there's a, a danger in, in not willing, being uh, willing to work. So he makes an important distinction between those who cannot work and those who won't work. So we've got to be careful not to jump to judgment about people until we know more about their, their story and what's going on with them. Um, that being said, unfortunately, there are some folks that could or should work and don't. In many ways, work I'm falling apart. Work is a protection against temptation and sin. And most of us can't handle a lot of idleness without getting ourselves into trouble. Can we, Don? <laughs> the old saying is true. Idle hands are the devil's workshop. And, and this, this, this story comes to mind every time I think of stuff like this. And I think about David, um, the David and Bathsheba. You remember that story when he got into trouble for adultery. You remember how it begins? It says, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army, but David remained in Jerusalem. That was a big mistake for him. He had work to do. He was supposed to be out leading his army, but he stayed home. Had David been at work, 
he might not have been out on that rooftop looking down at the naked lady next door taking a bath and getting himself in trouble. So um, he ended up committing sin because he had a vacuum of time that got filled in the wrong way. So it's pretty clear that we're expected to work for a living. I think it's something that God has hardwired into us. We're supposed to work to the best of our ability so that as believers we reflect well on our Creator. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Proverbs 18.9 says, One who is slack in his work is brother to one who destroys. And there's a good quote here from Martin Luther back in the Reformation. He wrote, the maid who sweeps her kitchen is doing the will of God as much of the monk as much as the monk who prays, not because she may sing a Christian hymn as she sweeps, but because God loves clean floors. The Christian shoemaker does his Christian duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes. God is interested in good craftsmanship. And that's what it means about God loves clean floors. It's not that he really cares if the floor has dirt on it or not, but he wants to see us, whatever we're doing, do to the best of our ability and do it right and try for a good outcome. So what about retirement from a biblical perspective? So I should tell you that Pastor Jim in Kalispell is, uh, well, he's a very punny guy. He loves puns. The lamer, the better. And um, so I, I ran across this little blurb. I put it in here specifically for him, but I think you'll like it. All my life, I've been looking for the perfect job. My first job was working in an orange juice factory, but I got canned. I just couldn't concentrate. After that, I tried to be a tailor, but I just wasn't suited for it mainly because it was a so-so job. Next, I tried working in a muffler factory, but that was too exhausting. I managed to get a good job working for a pool maintenance company, but the work was just too draining. I attempted to be a deli worker, but any way I sliced it, I couldn't cut the mustard. Then I worked as a lumberjack but I just couldn't hack it, so they gave me the axe. So then I got a job in an exercise center, but they said I wasn't fit for the job. I became a professional fisherman, but discovered that I couldn't live on my net income. My last job was working at Starbucks, but I had to quit because it was always the same old grind. So I retired and found I'm perfect for the job. Actually, um, the Bible does not have a lot to say about retirement. I was able to find a little bit, though. In Numbers 8.23, um, 8.23-26, um, we find it's the only text that actually mentions the word retirement, I think. The Lord said to Moses, this applies to the Levites. Men 25 years old or more shall come to take part in the work at the tent of meeting. But at the age of 50, they must retire from their regular service and work no longer. They may assist their brothers in performing their duties at the tent of meeting, but they themselves must not do the work. This then is how you are to assign the responsibilities of the Levite. Now, that the passage applies specifically to the Levites. Remember, they were the tribe that God took as to be the, the priestly uh, workers and the, the only ones that were allowed to even touch the, uh, the various parts of the, uh, the tabernacle as the, the people were moving through the wilderness. And, um, you know, it says age 50. I think we need to remember... 50 was a lot older back then than, than it probably is now. Um, and I think that, you know, it, it has to do with um, probably, 
more you know the the um, physical things that that were being done because these were the people that were in charge of putting up this big tent of meeting, taking it down, carrying all the the parts of it from one place to the other. Um, so, what does it say they should do after retirement? It doesn't say anything about a standing tea time. Um, it says they should assist their brothers in performing their duties at the tent of meeting. Basically, when they retire, they were no longer working, but they're still helping the non-retired guys do their job. It doesn't really sound like you're you're just sort of changing gears a little bit, right? Um, moving the tabernacle and its furniture required strength. The younger men were more suited for the working the work of lifting the heavy articles. They were allowed to assist with various light duties, and this helped the younger men assume more responsibilities and allowed the older men to be in a position to advise and counsel them. It allowed for two very important benefits. It allowed for the training and raising up of new leadership in what would become the temple. And it allowed the older men to continue using their accumulated wisdom and experience in the Lord's service without having to worry about whether or not their bodies were still up to the physical demands of the job. 50 seems like a pretty young age to retire, but I think God was allowing for the best people to be doing the work in his tent of meeting. And like I say, you know, there's uh, a little difference in being 50 in this today's day and age than there was back then. Um, and there's a, there's a country song that talks about that my, my body says, you can't do that, boy, but my pride says, oh, yes, you can. And... At the other end of the age spectrum, we find the story of Caleb in Joshua chapter 14. Remember Caleb? He was one of the, the, the 12 guys when, when the, um, the Israelites first got themselves in trouble when God, well, they a lot of times, but when, uh, when God first got them to the Jordan and he said, we're going to cross over, you're going to take this land that I'm going to give you, and I want you to send out 12 spies, one from each tribe, go out and spy out the land, come back and report. Well, Caleb was one of those 12 spies. And you remember the story that they went out, they saw some pretty big people, some giants, some, some strong towns, and 10 of the 12 got, got scared. Caleb and Joshua were the only two that came back and gave a good report. And um, there were some, some things that happened to the people um, because of all that, one of them being that they had to wander for 40 years in the wilderness instead of going straight into the land of Canaan. But Caleb was one of those faithful people who had faith in God and said, you know, we need to go do this. Um, so God, you know, yeah, we talked about that. Only, so God said that of, um, of the whole Israelite people, because the people supported these other ten, he said only two of them would be allowed to enter into the promised land, Joshua and Caleb. Even Moses didn't make it, remember? He, he got on the wrong side of God uh, with striking a rock. And uh, God took him up on a mountain to, to see the land, but he didn't allow him to enter. So now we see Caleb coming to Joshua. This is 40 years later. Jo Caleb is now 85 years old. And they've been fighting. They've been fighting to take the land in, the, in Canaan. And Caleb at 85 has been right up there swinging a sword and leading people into battle. So now in Joshua 14, now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, at Kadesh Barnea about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, The land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses 
while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out, just as he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, ever since, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Hebron used to be called Kiriath Arba, after Arba, who was the greatest man among the Anakites. Caleb was still raring to go. Now, we talked about just a minute ago about 50 years old being pretty old back in the day, so you got to retire from temple service, right? But when God has his favor on somebody and is using him as a servant, now at 85 years old, he's just as strong as he was at 40. God had blessed him with strength in his old age. He wanted to get on with the task that God had given to Israel, subduing the land. He comes up to Joshua as they're conquering the promised land, and he says, I've still got it. See that mountain there? That's mine. I want it. That's where the Amalekites are, and they are well fortified, but let me take that mountain. And at age 85, he led them up the mountain to victory. Ron Hutchcraft has this to say. Somehow we've allowed our potential Caleb's to basically retire from the war, except to cut the church lawn or write some checks or serve on a committee. But these are the people who know the most, who've walked with the Lord the longest. Older believers are sometimes almost programmed to fossilize at a time when they should energize. There may be physical limitations, of course, but is there any such thing as retiring from active service, retiring from making a difference from Christ? For Christ. The Chinese have an old proverb. They say, to the foolish, old age is winter. To the wise, old age is harvest time. Listen, if you're an older believer or a veteran in the work of the church who feels like, well, I'll just let somebody else do it now, or you're somebody with physical limitations, you don't have to just pull off and let somebody else do everything. God may, God may want to use you, may want to call you to a mission that will use all your wisdom, skill, and experience that a lifetime acquires. One lifetime, no matter how long it is, is not enough to serve Christ. We only get one. Use every day of it to the maximum. Look for a mountain. Look for giants to fight. And let your definition of retirement change. Yeah, you should retire. I'm going to retire. You should retire. Get a new set of tires on and drive faster and farther than ever before. Psalm 92 says, The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming the Lord is upright. He is my rock. There is no wickedness in him. This is a great vision for all of us. People in the later years of their lives, not just playing shuffleboard or watching TV, but making a difference. Praising their faithful Lord every chance they get. Talking about the rock who has sustained them through every battle of their life. I believe that it's God's will that we should bear fruit in our retirement years so that we can stay fresh and productive, not stale and on the sidelines. You can retire from a career. You can retire from a company or an occupation. But we can't retire from the service of Jesus Christ. God wants us to be like the Energizer Bunny, going and going and going until he decides that our work is finished. The Apostle Paul never quit working for God. He kept exhorting the believers from his cell. Now, and keep in mind, when he wrote these words, he was an old man, he was in prison, and he was awaiting possible execution for preaching the gospel. Here's what he had to say in Philippians 3, 7. But whatever we were gains, but whatever were gains to me now, I consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, 
the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know, now somewhere we quit in, in Scripture here, guys. <laughs> Sorry. I'm trying to kind of uh, resurrect this sermon as I go, too. So Paul Paul was after us to 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 remember that the power is from God and that we will know the power of his resurrection and participate in his his sufferings and attain our own resurrection from the dead. So, you know, if you think about it, think about what Paul went through, all the stuff that he had. If anybody had earned the right to say, okay, that's it, I'm done. It's time to go home. It was Paul. But here he is writing about his intention to press on and strain towards what is ahead. Paul is saying, forget the past. Don't bask in it. Don't dwell on your attainments. You still have work to do. So what did, we, did I come away from with my, uh, my study of biblical retirement? Well, I guess I'd have to say there's no such thing. Paul tells us to pursue, pursue the future. We need a purpose, something to do, something to hope for, something to stretch forward to. The tendency when we get older is to ease up. Yet nothing in the Bible ever suggests that we're to retire in our service to God. In fact, it seems that as people got older in the Bible, they became more useful to God. God used them in the twilight of life in ways that he wasn't able to use them when they were younger. We do get smarter as we get older, some of us. And there's opinions on that, depending on whether you talk to my wife or, you know. Even though we may retire from our vocations, even if it's full-time Christian ministry, we should never retire from serving the Lord. The way we serve Him might change. Uh, there's an example of two very old people in Luke 2, 25 to 38. Remember Simeon and Anna. They were in the temple when Jesus was brought as an eight-day-old baby to be uh, circumcised and um, consecrated to the Lord um, when, when Joseph and Mary brought him in. Anna was an elderly widow who ministered in the temple daily with fasting and prayer. Simeon had been ministering in the temple, and God had promised him that he would someday see the Messiah. And he, uh, he recognized Jesus as an eight-day-old eight baby as being the Messiah. Some of the church's greatest resources today are its older saints. They should be treasured for their wisdom and experience, and those of us who are younger should seek them out to hear what they have to tell us. Our older years are not to be spent solely in the pursuit of pleasure. Paul says that the widow who lives for pleasure is dead while she yet lives. That's in 1 Timothy 5, verse 6. Contrary to biblical instruction, many people equate retirement to pursuit of pleasure, if at all possible. That's not to say we shouldn't enjoy golf, social functions, square dancing. Um, but they shouldn't be the primary focus of our life at any age. So we have a choice. Excuse me. We can either eager, eagerly await the Savior's coming or fearfully await the Grim Reaper. That's our choice. We can live out the days of our life fearful of growing old, fearful of being helpless, fearful of being a burden on somebody else, or we can live in great expectation of our Savior's return. Tammy and I are, are um, having the, I guess, the misfortune of watching this play out a little bit right now. Um, and her mom is uh, in a retirement center. Um, she had a stroke and a heart attack not very long ago, which she's actually recuperating from fairly well, but her vision is poor, her energy isn't very good, and she seems to have lost, um, she seems to be that living out the last days of life, fearful of growing old, fearful of being helpless, and fearful of being a burden on somebody else. And we keep trying to reach her and to, um, to get her to see that there is so much left, but we have to make the decision to pursue it. There's a built-in dignity of labor in the Scripture, and God calls me to labor in his vineyard until I die. This is um, R.C. Sproul speaking, sorry. It may not be at one particular job, 
but I have to be actively productive as long as I possibly can. So let me close this with something I found on the internet. I can't tell you who wrote it, but I thought it was pretty good. It says, for a long time, the universal custom was to say goodbye when people parted. Goodbye was the shortened version of the phrase, God be with you. Today is quite common instead to say, take it easy. So the next time you're tempted to tell someone to take it easy, think twice before you do it. I don't think we want to tell people to take it easy or don't work too hard. On the contrary, we want to encourage people to work, to do something, to get involved, to serve one another, to witness for Christ. Our parting words should be, keep up the great work. Don't let up. Keep working until Jesus comes. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that um, you have given us the ability and the opportunity to serve you. And um, Father, as we go through our lives and reach points where there are transitions like retiring from a career or um, from something that we've been doing, help us, Lord, to see the opportunities that are, are new to serve you. Help us, Lord, to go forth with joy and expectation that we can, uh, can further your kingdom and bring more people to know you. As we go out this week, Lord, thank you for um, the, the season of Advent and um, the message of, of hope that was proclaimed by the angels on that night so long ago. Help us to further that message, Lord, and to keep working and fighting the good fight for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. want to stand with us as we sing our way out. Try that again. Yeah, I think so. Maybe I think, yeah, G. yeah. Let's just start with a G. I'll follow you. Okay. There we go.
story and our song throughout this week and throughout the rest of our lives that we praise you all day long through everything because you're God and you had this all for us and we get to see you in your name. Amen. Amen. Have a good week and we'll see you all next week.